offering information for your mind, enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. Welcome to a very special Sabbath School class brought to you by SSU. With me today are Lauren, Tiffany, and Anastasia. My name is Marcellus, and we're going to be talking about the last days of Christ. Um, Tiffany, would you pray for us to open? Sure, I'll pray in Spanish. Let's pray. Padre que estás en los cielos, gracias para este día. Bendícenos con su espíritu y ayúdanos para estudiar su palabra. En el nombre de Jesús, amén. Amen. Amen. And Anastasia, would you read um, our text for us? Sure. Um, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. I have no idea where to even start with Christ's last day. Obviously, we're starting at the end of the story, um, which is always a difficult place for me to start. But thoughts? <laughs> None? Well, I guess before the end, <laughs> um, from the lesson, it started off with Matthew 26, 1 through 16, which um, went over the woman with the alabaster box. Mm -hmm. Mary, and, right. yep, Mary with the, the woman with the alabaster box. And so um, I really like that story just from the grace perspective. Um, all of the disciples and everyone in there was like, the money could have gone towards, you know, the poor, etc. And Christ told them, you know, you don't know what she's doing. Basically, she's preparing me for my burial. And um, so it starts there with Christ being prepared for the what was ahead of him in the last days. And I think that was a nice place to start in the lesson because um, from there, things got really, you know, bad, really yeah, fast. Really bad, really fast. And um, so it, I appreciate how she poured out her um, soul. Um, it's so Christ. interesting to see such a, like, lavish use of money. You know what I mean? Such a liberal use of money. Because um, it's so easy to feel like spending a lot of money is a bad thing to do. Um, and then when you really consider, though, that she's doing it um, for the God of the universe, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, then it's like, oh, well, that was a lot of money. Honestly, you could have spent a little more, actually. Like, mm -hmm. but. And I think the biggest thing is that she got that. I think yeah, she knew yeah. that she, she was understood doing it. For that. And, and clearly, yeah, they had they a connection. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the oh, disciples man. didn't get that. And that's yeah. what's so special about that story and about yeah. her is that she got it. She saw that this was an opportunity for her to anoint and to bless the king of the universe. And everyone was judging her and looking down on her and why was she being so wasteful when this could go to the poor and you know how many mouths this could feed and you know, you know how much good could be done with this money. And they're missing the point. Mm -hmm. They're missing the fact that the treasure is right in front of them mm -hmm. and that Jesus is what is most worthy of our devotion and that she had something special that no one else had, you know, that, and that yeah. no one else got it and acted on it in a way like she did. Mm -hmm. And what, well, this is a sidebar, but what's also interesting to me in this particular situation is Christ going, the poor will always be with you, mm. which is such an ominous statement to me of like, oh, oh, really? Really? We'll always have to deal with people having discrepancies in wages, like in people, some being so low that we have to help them. But That's I will not always be with you. Yeah. You know, like Jesus was there for a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the fact that, you know, she had that opportunity to 
bless him and anoint him was mm -hmm. a very, you know, it's a small window in, in this, you know, treasure of time that... That is clearly that remembered for, and doesn't he say that she would be remembered what she did? That's, would that's what I was going to say. Oh, that's the most ahead. like hilarious thing about this whole yeah, this yeah. whole story is that this woman, who's probably met God, Jesus, for the first time, does this humble thing in front of everybody, and they're all sitting there basically mocking, making fun, and then Jesus said, she will be the one that will be remembered, even though y'all have been with me since the very beginning yeah. <laughs> and spent time with me and know me and yeah. know who I am. And this woman does not know who I am, and yet she goes and does this humble thing, and she will be the one that will be talked about throughout time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like they didn't get it. And Jesus even mentions that she's preparing his body for death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He says it, and they don't even get it. They don't register it at all. They don't register it. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're still stuck on, what is she doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And how, how often do we go through the motions of, mm -hmm. you know, thinking that we have a walk with God or that we know God because, you know, we know so much more than someone else um, because, you know, we've had this relationship that's developed over time and someone else just comes in and they are doing it all wrong and they don't know, you know, what, God really needs or, you know, and so we cast that judgment on, you know, and we're missing the picture when, you know, someone else may, it may click for them in an instant mm -hmm. in a way that someone who's been with God for a long time may not see. May not see all of it. Well, yeah. let's look at all of it. What's the, let's keep going through the picture. What's the next thing that happens? Gethsemane, do we go to Gethsemane from here? We go to the Passover from here. The Passover. So, so oh, the, new, yes, the, the Passover. new covenant. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm jumping over stuff. It's all right. And that's in Matthew 26, 17 through 19. And there it says, Now on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and, to say, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And um, something that this brings out in terms of the new covenant, um, the disciples and the people at that time were going into this Passover as a remembrance of deliverance from Egypt. Mm -hmm. And Christ was going into it as a deliverance from sin, mm -hmm. a, a redemptive work. And I don't think they saw that at that time either, but that is the picture that um, the new covenant that he wanted to establish. So they're right in the middle of celebrating the deliverance um, from captivity. from captivity and it's at the very time when Jesus is delivering from captivity, yeah, from captivity yeah. and they're they're missing the point mm -hmm. um, the part that kind of stands out to me is um, where Jesus says assuredly I say to you one of you will betray me mm -hmm. and he then goes on to say you know he who dips his bread and he like points yeah, out who out. it is yeah. and you know Judas is here having betrayed Jesus or you know um, made an arrangement where he's going to receive silver in, in exchange for the life of, of Jesus and um, point indicating who it is. Um, and he's now at this Passover meal and he's dipping bread with them mm -hmm. and Jesus is pointing out who it is and he still is moving forward with this plan that he clearly has questions about because he jumps up in the middle of How the meal and runs out. Felt, you know what I mean? To be like, you're, oh, si you're just sitting here chilling like, all right, this is, uh, this, this, is gonna, this is about to happen, this is about to happen. And then you hear Jesus like, oh, the person that's dipping, 
he will betray me. Oh, well, the funny you know. Thing is, uh, I hope no one saw the me. The funny just thing do is, thing that it's not even do. that. It's God. Jesus even he even said, "Is it me, Lord?" When he went, yeah, is it all? And is and God all? is like, <laughs> "I didn't say it." You know, yeah, you spoke yeah. it. Feeling guilty. Yeah. yeah. You're, mm-hmm. And and that's the thing that's that struck me. Like right there, Jesus calls him out and tells him that you're mm-hmm. gonna be. And yeah. and the funny thing is, Judah knew. And he, he recognized. He it. knew. He recognized it. And it was before everybody, everyone seen it. It was in front of all the disciples, and nobody else got it. Nobody else wondered where their other, you know, brother went when he got up and he left to go get his money or what, you know, to get the Pharisees. Nobody wondered, you know, and then going into the, the next part that we see is Jesus goes out to pray to, mm-hmm. I'm going to butcher this. It's all right. Okay. So they go out to pray, right? Mm-hmm. And not once, but twice, Jesus comes back to them and he invites them to pray with him. Mm-hmm. To stay awake. To stay awake. To, right. To, to stay pray awake. On his behalf. On his behalf. Going through this really difficult exactly. time. He's very stressed. And yeah. t- not once, Jesus comes back and he's like, hey, what's up? Like, Why it's only been sleeping? an hour. Why are you sleeping? You know, like, stay, stay awake. At least stay awake. He goes up to pray. He comes back. What happens? They're asleep sleeping. again. It's like those signs have been there from the very beginning, from the yeah. time the woman, you know, she, she, she did this amazing thing for him to the time they broke bread, to the time they went up to pray. All the signs were there. Yeah. And like you were saying, where, where's the hearts of the disciples? Where's their mind at? Where's their Seriously. spirit at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just more evidence of the fact that they didn't get it. They didn't get you know, it. like if if they really realized the struggle that Jesus was going through and what he was about to go through and how increasingly difficult it was going to be for him, yeah. you know, they would have stayed up in earnest prayer on his behalf and they would have, you know, been trying to do more to support him and to, you know, mediate on his behalf, you know, like to try to, um, you know, pray for him and his strength during this time. And for themselves. I mean, he directly tells them, that you're, you're going to fall this away. Whole thing. Yeah. I'm going to strike down the shepherd and the sheep yeah. of the flock will be scattered. Mm-hmm. Like, if you understood that, you'd be like, oh, man, Lord, keep us together. Keep us with, keep us by the shepherd. Uh, please, don't let us leave the shepherd. We need the shepherd. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they really didn't get it. It's scary. Yeah, Jesus got it. He got that he would be separated from God, and that was... Um, Horrible. I think it was a horrific feeling for him to go through, and it's hard to believe that the people didn't get it from the time of Exodus to the to now. They have been separated so many different times from God and um, taken into captivity, delivered back and forth, back and forth, but they never got it. And it says here, you know, what's really happening in Gethsemane, and that's where I brought up the point that Jesus was separated from God. And it's something um, if we choose Lord as our Lord and personal Savior that we won't ever have to experience. And for me, I'll never, I'll, I'll always remember that Christ experienced something that nobody else will have to experience except for those who reject him. And I can't imagine um, how he felt to be separated from his father. And reading in the lesson, it said, you know, you know, he could have walked away and said, you know, I'll let them, you know, take their own penalty for their sin, etc. But he died their death in their stead, knowing the condition of their hearts at that time. I mean, he knew no one was on his side <laughs> and they weren't going to be on his side until after. And um, to still go through with it, um, we serve a merciful savior. It's, it's a blessing. I didn't know when I was doing the lesson study, I didn't realize that at the time when Jesus was praying, you know, Lord, please take this cup from me. The whole time I thought it was more about his suffering that he will be enduring from the time he's brought it, brought before the people, mm-hmm. you know, all the 
everything that he had to go through from the time he was um, surrendered or betrayed. And so all this time and until this lesson, I thought that when Jesus was in the garden praying, he was actually praying for, you know, what he's about to go through and not the disconnection that he would be having with God. Mm -hmm. And so, so I guess I just kind of want confirmation, like did the disconnection with him not being with God happen in the garden of Gethsemane or was that when there was no connection when he gave up his spirit. Remember, there was a time when I believe no, it before on he the gave cross. up. Yeah. So it happens on the cross. I, I believe so. Okay. And then he says, he cries out then, um, Eli, Eli, lama shabantani. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right. And this is the moment when it, he's literally separated from God. Okay, so it wasn't in the Garden of Gethsemane when he no, was No, this praying. is he's still, he's, he's anticipating it, though. Yeah, he he's anticipating it so much that he's, he's like, the if there's anguish. any other way, Lord, if there's any other way, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do this, but I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. Let's do something else. Yeah, and he's in so much distress that his capillaries are bursting, and yeah, he's, he's sweating bleeding, blood, yeah. and he's, you know, he's in obvious anguish mm -hmm. over this whole thing. But yeah. I don't think we can understand um, in, in any way, you know, as humans, what this was for him, because he's always been with God, you know, like there's been no separation. It was always from the beginning, you know, from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so for him to have that separation is complete agony and anguish mm -hmm. to even think about. Um, and so it's not something that, that we have that we can, you know, even fathom, um, necessarily, but you're right. You know, that's that's ultimately what he was really grappling with and struggling with in that garden of Gethsemane was not all the things that he would have to go with, which were go, go through, which were going to be very difficult, mm -hmm. but that separation that he knew was coming and that was going to cut him off and he was going to be blackened, you know, the, the, was going to be blackened out with all the sin, the weight of, of the world of both the past and the future sin um, that he was going to bear in that time. Right, right. You know? So there's a lot of anticipation building here. Yeah. We're getting to a part of the story where things are really starting to ramp up. Like you can feel the tension, and here's when we cue Judas to come back in. You know what I mean? Like Here's where we now enter the betrayer, and he's going to kiss him, mm -hmm. and let's move, let's move forward. <laughs> what do you... Let's talk about the betrayal specifically. I mean, this, this the actual act of it. Well, I guess when do you think the act was? Does it matter? Does it, does it matter when it is? Or so I. Here's my question with this: the fact that Judas betrayed him. Like, was there something in Judas's life because he walked with Christ? I mean, there was times when he would even rebuke people, right? Judas himself, while he while in the presence of of, of God. So, did what was there like a sin in his life, or some what was there that allowed Satan to creep in and take hold of him and just convince convince him to do the betrayal to come through with it? I think it's little things. Satan finds little footholds in our lives and um, ways that he can get a uh, you know a foothold. Okay. And mm -hmm. um, part of it, I think, that he was able to. Um, work with Judas's pride, maybe, and Judas wanted to be um, helping to start this revolution and, and move things forward in the way that they thought things should happen, mm -hmm. and things didn't play out how they thought, you know, that it was going to happen, and then they are all scattered, like it says in the passage. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know for sure what it is that was 
causing him to go down that path. And I don't think that he was ever too far down that path. I think he it, that he couldn't come back. I think in his mind, maybe, he had already made a decision and he'd been going down this road and that was the path he'd chosen. Um, but I think there was still doubts in his mind whether this is what he should be doing and whether, you know, but at some point he was so far down this road that pride took over and, you know, he wasn't going to turn back. See, I kind of... He already of, made his decision. I kind of... I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because there was a time when, 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 when he came, when they all came, the Pharisees and the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. there, there was a moment of hesitation there because Judas came and he, he told the priest, he's like, no. I will betray him by a kiss, right? And then what happens? There's like, he greets him. Well, he greets him, but what does Jesus say? He says, do what you came here to do. <laughs> so then my question there is... There must be some hesitation there. What was the hesitation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. I don't doubt that Judas was wrestling, mm -hmm. um, honestly. Oh, but I think so that... <laughs> Sorry, keep going. I think he was struggling. But at the end of the day, I think his pride took over. And something the lesson says is that, you know, when you have something that... When you have something that someone else really wants, you possess tremendous power. And I think he let the power get the best of him. And then once they had what um, they wanted... He had nothing, and when he realized that, I mean, he turned to, you know, suicide. Man, at that it's so point. difficult. It's it's looking at Judas's story is to me is a enlightening of Satan's story. Mm -hmm. um, it's very sad, but it's there's a part there's a part where I just disconnect with it, where I just can't understand what they saw mm -hmm. that made them go. Yeah, I should keep going. Mm -hmm. Like because there, there seemed there was a point there's where you, points where they could have stopped where you start to understand. Yeah. Oh, I mean, to come up to Christ and to kiss him yeah. and to look your God in the face and be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead with this. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't know what he possibly could have seen that was like, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. It just seems so needless. It's mm -hmm. such a waste of life to me. Well, I think that's why, you know, the Lord admonishes us to guard the avenues of our soul because sometimes I think we don't know what we're capable, how deep we're capable mm -hmm. of going into to sin. And I think it could be scary if all the reins of mercy were let go and we were able to go full force we might end up yeah. where Judas was exactly yeah we don't know what we're capable of we think that oh I would that would never happen to me and yep. I could never do that but I know that but for the grace of God I'm completely capable of all you know all the things that I see all around me mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and being participating in the very things that I would be so horrified yeah. at um, you know, hearing about. So, yeah. Do you think, like, you know, the passage is saying um, that the shepherd will be cut down and the sheep, sheep will be scattered. scattered. Mm -hmm. um, do you think it was necessary for them to be scattered? Was that pro prophetic? Was it, um, how did that, I mean, we're kind of looking at, at different angles of, of freedom and free will mm -hmm. and yeah. what, whether, you know, Jesus is laying down his life, Judas is um, betraying Jesus, um, we're, you know, next we get to Peter and, you know, decisions that he encountered. Um, where in there, I mean, you're just mentioning how Jesus told Judas to move forward with this plan, this trajectory that he was already on. Mm -hmm. um, where in there is, is it, already, you know, set in motion and where is there, you know, I have a, free I have a will? I friend who constantly describes um, God as just being descriptive, basically. Um, he believes that God knows everything and so 
prophecy more or less, and, every, and the law, everything, is God just describing the nature of things and being like, this is the way it is. This is the way it's going to happen. I am not choosing for this thing to be this way. You can still choose, mm -hmm. but I know you, and this is what you're going to do. Yeah, and that's um, the point. I know you. I think he mm -hmm. knew their heart. And I think back to Pharaoh when he said, um, I will harden his heart. When I thought about it, I'm like, well, Pharaoh had no, you know, no chance. If the Lord hardened his heart, he wouldn't be able to turn back. But it's because he knew he knew his heart. Not that he wanted to harden his heart or that he wanted him to make that choice, but mm -hmm. he knew. It is a hard question, though, because yeah. we'll have Paul um, bringing up Pharaoh as a vessel of wrath and saying that the potter has the right to create vessels to take his wrath out on, um, mm. just like he has the right to create vessels to put his honor on. And we, the vessel, can the vessel say to the potter, why have you made me? Mm. Which I think the vessel should be able to say that, but that's my well, personal I don't know. opinion. I, I think you guys are going very deep with this. <laughs> it's true, it's true. It's um, when I think about what you said, the first thing that came to my mind was the fact that um, sheep need a shepherd, mm. right? It's not because sheep are stupid, they just like guidance. They want somebody to be there to, to guide and whatever. They, in, in flocks and in herds, whatever you have, packs, there's always a leader. There's always a pack leader. There's always somebody that the rest of the pack, the rest of the herd, herd, not herb, looks, looks for. And so I think about when Jesus was cut down. Here's this guy, you know, God and, and a friend and buddy and everything that he was to them is suddenly cut down. And they're all just like, well, what happens now? What are we supposed to do? And out of fear, I think that's why um, Peter fell into denial. And because there, there was nobody there, that symbol that they looked at as a shepherd to guide them, to lead them, just was just cut down. And then now they're like just like lost sheep. They don't know where to go. They don't know, you know, who to look, who to, look to. Nobody was there to really take the next step after, after Jesus. Now, grant you, after Christ, you know, was uh, ascended into heaven, then they understood what it was all about. Then there was leaders. Then there was, you know, Peter stood up, and then later Paul came into the picture. Then there was leaders that rose up that people looked to for guidance, for counsel. And now you have the shepherd who's been shut, cut down, taken away, and then you have these, like, small little sheep. They don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know where to go, who to turn to, how to even react when they're being confronted about, well, you know Jesus. Oh no, I don't. I don't. I because they don't know what's going to happen to him. I don't know the man. I don't know the but man. But I, I, I just find it very distressing mm -hmm. to see Jesus spending all his time with these twelve individuals and impressing upon them his what his um, purpose of being here on the earth yeah. is exactly laying out to them what is going to happen, what trials they're going to face. Be prepared. Spend time in prayer. And when it comes, it completely blindsides them. They, they're not prepared. They don't know what to do. They, he's, you know, disappeared. He's arrested and they're going in every direction and denying any relationship to him and in complete confusion. And it wasn't until he rose from the grave and, you know, they were able to see, and he was laid out for them, you know, even more clearly um, what they were then to do. Um, that they finally got it and started moving forward yeah. in, the, in the church it was established and grew. Well, I like to think of it, you know, taking my life. I grew up in the church. Granted, I didn't grow up Adventist, but I still grew up knowing who Christ was. Mm -hmm. And despite knowing what I knew about God, I still took the wrong direction. Once I got to that age where I can do things on my own, 
I walked away from God. I walked away from church and I went into the world and I sinned and I did things that my parents would not approve of. But why? It's the same concept with them. They, they knew, they were taught, there was, all of that was in front of them, like you said. But yet something made them pull away. Something still made them fall back, fall short of the glory of God. But it was still that one thing that brought them back. And that's the, that's the important thing, that one thing that brought them back. The spirit is really what we'll see. Just, and even, even the things that they knew of, of Christ, because they confess him as, as Christ, mm -hmm. and Christ will say, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. The spirit revealed this to right. you. So the one thing they knew about him, they only knew because the Spirit told them. And we'll see the same thing happen with the church as the story goes on, because he'll die and then he'll be resurrected and they still won't really get it. Mm -hmm. they'll say, and he'll, he'll be meeting with them and showing them stuff and, and they'll be learning, but at the end he'll, be, he'll say, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you my Spirit. Yeah. And then they get it and they go, well, let's just wait for his spirit then. Yeah. And they just sit in a room and wait for his spirit to come, yeah. and it comes and thus starts the Christian church. Yeah. Um, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Peter's denial. Mm -hmm. let's, let's move to Peter. Okay. This is a really interesting um, contrast, I think, because we see Peter in the garden, and then we see Peter on the terrace by the fire, and on the one hand, he's, he's at Jesus' side, he brandishes his sword and he's ready to fight and defend. And the next he's cowering and, and um, not acknowledging mm -hmm. that he has any relationship to Jesus. What do you think made the difference between his reaction in the garden and his reaction on the terrace? I mean, why is there such a contrast? Something I like from the lesson uh, that the lesson brought out was we always tend to think that Peter denied Jesus because he was afraid. That's the first thing we think of. But I like some of the different um, scenarios it gave for maybe reasons why Peter denied Christ. Um, it said like maybe he thought that Christ had given up or he really didn't understand what Christ was doing and so he was confused. Not necessarily that it was a deep-rooted fear that he had. Um, but um, just going back to, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Do you think he was confused or he was a coward? Because I well, think there's I th a difference. Like, no, I think there was a level of confusion. I think that when um, he cut that air off the man, you know, he thought that this was going to play out very differently than how it happened. Yeah. So once Christ got arrested, I think he was like, whoa, what just happened? Like, you know, you need to establish your kingdom. You know, let's, you know, kill them all, whatever you were going to do. But I think there was a level of confusion. And something that really stood out, I'm going to say it again, is that he thought Jesus had given up. And I think as a result, you know, he gave up and, you know, the rest of the disciples gave up. But... Yeah, I just I think his reaction by the fire, you know, in the night was very fear based. Yes, he may be confused, but and he doesn't know why things are playing out how they're how they are because he's expecting something totally different. But you know, he's hiding behind, um, you know, hiding his association with Jesus or you know being with him or knowing anything about him, and he's kind of giving into the peer pressure of those around him that, you know, that are jeering at, you know, and mocking this whole um, scenario that's playing out. And he said, yeah, I don't know anything about it. I, I don't know him. And to me, that's, that's fear-based. Well, obviously it's a spiritual problem. And obviously there are a lot of spiritual problems, so many so that we didn't even get to all of them. Um, but I want to thank you guys for joining me on what we did get through. And I want to thank you guys for joining us. Um, there's still a lot left to read but you can keep studying and you can keep watching.